Well, I invite you to turn to our, our scripture passage this morning. We're on page three. You'll find <coughs> 2 Corinthians 3, as well as an outline of our message this morning. We have been studying the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're into this chapter 3 where, where Paul is discussing his role as a, a minister of the new covenant. And it gives him the opportunity to talk about the aspects and, and greatness and glory of this new covenant. Uh, you, you might know what a covenant is. It's God uh, making this binding commitment uh, to, especially to his people, uh, to be their God and they to be his people. And, and the new covenant is, is the fulfillment of the promises of old. All come to pass now that Christ has arrived, uh, the fullness of God saving a people to be, to be his very own. And here Paul's going to talk about the glory of it. We looked at this passage last week. We saw uh, two aspects of, of that glory. And here we're going to pick up three more this week. Uh, but we'll read the whole passage together again. So listen, listen to God's word as we read. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we claim sufficient, we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, uh, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, uh, who put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But, in their, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when, the, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, 
who is the Spirit. Let's pray together. Our Father, take your word, and through your ministry, through the Spirit, Lord, shine the light of Christ into, into our minds and hearts, uh, that we might be more transformed into his likeness, even, even through this here. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a couple weeks back I was given an article. Uh, it was a part of a book by a seminary professor, a guy by the name of John Oswald. Anyway, he, he made this statement that I think is helpful to, to wrestle with. He says this, Many Christians, and perhaps most, are living far below their privilege. Many Christians, probably most, are living far below their privilege. And then he tells this story. Apparently it's an old, well-told story. I'm not sure if it's true, but good illustration. It's of a, of a poor man who lived early 20th century, but he had this dream. His dream was to take, uh, to take a journey on one of those old, fancy ocean liners. And he always dreamed of taking this extravagant journey, but, but, but he just didn't have the money to do it. So he saved and saved and saved through most of his life until he finally had enough to buy a ticket. And he purchases his ticket, uh, but, but, but then he realizes that he doesn't have uh, any, the kind of money uh, to, to purchase the really extravagant meals that they serve on ocean liners like this. Uh, so instead, he, he buys a big box of crackers and some cheese and takes it on board with him. Uh, so that when it's mealtime and all the other passengers are going to the exquisite dining room, he goes to his, his, his cabin and he eats his crackers. Uh, but the final day of the journey is, is coming, and he's determined, i got to have at least one meal. Uh, so he counts up every bit of money he has left, thinking, I, I, I might just have enough. So he takes it over uh, to the dining room and walks up to the steward, and, and you can imagine his surprise when the steward says, we've been holding a place for you here all week. Uh, the price of your ticket includes the price of all the meals. And this uh, seminary professor writes, uh, I'm convinced that this old story accurately describes the state of far too many Christians living far below their privilege. Or maybe you could state it more positively, it's actually far better than you think. It's actually far better uh, than you think. Uh, this life that God has called you into, believer, uh, this, this new covenant, uh, this bond of uh, God gathering you and me in Christ to be his people, and he, our God, and binding us to this life that will never end, it's far better, uh, with all its glories and privileges, far better than we think. Um, and, and in our passage, what Paul is laying out is, is that very message. It, it's better. It's better than we imagine. It's better than the Corinthians imagined. Uh, and he's showing uh, the greatness of what, it, what it, we have in Christ. And perhaps that is one of the, the most practical things that we could do. Uh, investigate the glories of our privilege. One of the most practical things that we can do. We tend to think of practical as a to-do list. 
right? Do this, do that, do that. that that's, that's practical. Um, but, but what if uh, looking at our privilege is actually even more practical? I mean, take that guy on the ocean liner. Uh, you could give him a to-do list. Okay, here are five steps to get, get ready for dinner and, and five ways you get to the dining room and get to your right seat. You can, you can give them that list. That, that's practical. But really, all you have to do is convince him of how great his privilege is, what his ticket really includes, and then he's going to make his way to the dining room. He's going to figure it out. He's going to figure out how to get ready. He's going to figure out how to get there. He just, just convince him of his privilege, and then the other stuff, just it just follows. What if the same is true in the Christian life? Uh, that, okay, it's not wrong to talk about what should you do this week. Um, that's not wrong. Um, but what if it's even more practical to say, let's talk about how great our privilege is in Christ. And then, well, we'll find our way to the dining room. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do that. Let's, let's follow Paul's, Paul's lead here and talk about the glories of the new covenant. Last week, we talked about uh, the glory of location and operation, uh, the glory of location, that the new covenant comes to us, not uh, as tablets of stone from the outside, which can't really change us, can only condemn us, uh, but it comes uh, through the Spirit on the inside, so the glory of location, God gets in us, Uh, the glory of operation, uh, whereas uh, commandments by themselves, if they come to sinners, uh, they can only they can only point out our sin. They can only condemn us, right? So it's a ministry of condemnation. Uh, but but in Christ, you have the the operation through the Spirit and the work of Christ of life, right? Because God saves through the work of His Son. So uh, instead of a ministry of death and condemnation, it's a ministry of life and righteousness. A difference of operation. So this week we're going to talk about <clears throat> duration, liberation, and then glorification. So let's 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 start with duration. <clears throat> In other words, how long things last? How long things last? And here Paul makes the contrast between what is temporary and what is eternal. What has an end and what has no end at all. Uh, for example, um, uh, verse eleven is a good summary. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. What was being brought to an end? So he's referring back to what he's already been discussing, verses 7 to 10, uh, the giving of the law, uh, that that, that focal point, one of the focal points of the Old Covenant. It's not, we said last week, it's not everything of the Old Covenant, but it's certainly one of the more visible Aspects uh, that that law of God, which is holy and righteous and and good, uh, but since it comes to us from from the outside as guilty sinners, it can only condemn us. Uh, Paul speaks of that that ministry of death carved in letters of on stone, uh, ministry of condemnation, verse nine and seven. Um, but he's saying here that was only temporary. Uh, he says verse seven again and eleven and thirteen. That was what was being brought to an end. Uh, the Old Covenant was always meant to be temporary, uh, whether it was with just the law by itself or whether it was even with the sacrifices, which showed us uh, the glories of salvation through a, through a rescuer, a substitute. All that was just temporary. Uh, it, was, it was passing away. It was coming to an end because it was preparing the way for Jesus, who is the permanent. 
Uh, it was just types and shadows getting the way ready for Jesus. And now, with the arrival of Jesus and the, and the arrival of the new covenant in him, you have the fulfillment of God's great plan. Uh, you have this dawning of this new age of salvation uh, that's never going to fade. So he draws this contrast of, of duration. One uh, before temporary and now uh, everlasting, there is no end. Uh, and, and what Paul's going to try to say here is, is if the first one, uh, if, the, if what came before had glory and it was temporary, well, then how much more glory belongs to that which has no end? Right? It's, it's the how much more argument. So if what was passing away had glory, then you better believe it's far more glorious what will never end. Right? So he says, okay, well, let's go, back. let's go back to that which was passing away. You do remember it had glory, Paul says. And then he uses this, this example, Exodus 34, what we read, what we read today uh, about, about Moses. And so, kids, if you're looking for a picture to, to draw today, uh, this is a good one. Um, there, again, I think I mentioned there's paper in the, in the table in the foyer and some crayons there. Uh, you could draw a picture of Moses uh, on Mount Sinai, you can put uh, commandments in his hand and, and somehow represent that his face is shining. Because what did we read? We read that, G that Moses up on the mountain, right? he's talking with God. There's even that, that episode where he, he gets to behold a little bit of God's glory, right? the, the kind of the backside of God's glory, right? this powerful encounter with the, the holiness and radiance of God. And he comes down off the mountain, and his, his face is radiant. It's, it's shining. It's glowing. He has to, he has to put this veil over his face uh, because the Israelites are so, are so frightened uh, of, of what, what has become of him. And Paul says, all that glory, and that was what was passing away, right? So how much more, then, that which never passes away? How much more glory? Which, why, why, kids, if, you can, if you're good at spelling, you can write at the top of Moses, better. The word better. Because what we have, as glorious as that picture is of Moses with a shining face, Paul says, we have it far, far better. How much more uh, glorious? Uh, Paul essentially saying, you thought Moses and his shining face was good? What we have in Christ, what is permanent, is far, far more glorious. Uh, and that's the encouragement to us as God's people. Uh, beloved, do you realize how, how glorious it is what you have in the Lord Jesus? Right? Your very identity, your very being is, is connected, is bound up with that which is eternal, uh, will never fade, because you're bound up with Jesus uh, and that glorious resurrection life. Uh, and that glory of the world to come, it's now, you're connected to it. Uh, that, that age of salvation, uh, it's dawned in your very life, and it's never going to fade. Uh, right? It's only going to grow ever more glorious in you, inside, and then eventually on the outside as well. Uh, right? This is, is what we have, the glory of what we have in Christ. And part of what brings it out is duration. Right? Before temporary, coming to an end, now never, uh, never ending. As I was thinking about this idea of duration, right, what is temporary versus what is, uh, what is permanent, 
uh, it was it was dawning on me this week that that all the things that I tend to fret over, um, they almost all are in the temporary category, right? Now, some of them are real and and hard and and challenging, uh, but but in the temporary permanent. Almost all the things I fret over are in that temporary category. Uh, and, and in realizing that, well, it doesn't make it easy, um, but it does bring a little perspective, doesn't it? Uh, that, that what is permanent uh, is, well, that's for us in Christ. That's all settled. It's guaranteed. There's, there's no fretting over it because it's, it's guaranteed as sure as Christ is raised from the dead. Um, it's just the temporary things that look look more fraught for us. Okay, it's hard, we rely on the Lord, and, and sometimes it's really painful, but it is all temporary. And that encourages us with the, the privilege of what we have uh, in Christ. Duration. We then move to liberation. right? Setting free. Setting free. And Paul, in verses 12 through 16, describes how, how Christ, the Christ of the new covenant, sets us free from from hardness of heart, from spiritual blindness. And to illustrate that, he goes back to the example of Moses and his veil. Uh, he uses that as, as a kind of metaphor, a spiritual illustration. He says, okay, just like that physical veil uh, covered up uh, the glory that was on Moses' face, so the Israelites, would they would see, but they wouldn't see the glory. Uh, right? They'd see Moses, but they wouldn't see the glory because right, because the physical veil was there. Paul says that's, that's a spiritual picture. That's a physical picture of the spiritual reality uh, of, of, of blindness, of hardness of heart. Um, he says that the Israelites, they, they have the Old Covenant Scriptures. right? They have the Old Testament. Uh, all of it is preparing the way for Christ. Uh, all of it is, is, is laying the groundwork and pointing forward in types and shadows uh, to the arrival of the Messiah. All right? They should be able to see, but they don't see it all. How come they can't see it? Well, good. It's like a, like a veil that's, that's over their face. He even brings it to his present day, verses 14 and 15. He says, yeah, even when the, the law of Moses is read in the synagogue, Right? Sabbath after Sabbath. They're reading that word that, that points to Jesus. Uh, they, they don't get it. Why? Because it's like a veil over their hearts. Uh, so they see, but they don't see. Just like the Israelites in Moses' day could see, but they didn't see the glory. Yeah, because it was veiled. Paul says there's, there's a veil uh, over, over their hearts. So what hope is there? Verse 14, he says, Only through Christ is it taken away. Or verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the Lord Jesus, when turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So Jesus is the, the liberator, uh, the freer. Uh, he steps into a person's life and removes that veil so that they're no longer enslaved to, to spiritual blindness, and enslaved to the death that that blindness leads to. Probably the best illustration is, is the Apostle Paul himself, his own, his own life. Right, think about old Paul. I've actually been reading through the book of Acts, and, and so you get this, this glimpse of what old Paul was like, and then you get new Paul. Well, you go back to old Paul, uh, and you, you look at what he's doing in persecuting the church. Uh, maybe you even bring to mind the fact of who Paul is, 
that he is really a, an Old Testament scholar. Uh, he's one who has been trained uh, by, by the, the greatest teacher that was around uh, in that day. Uh, he knew the Old Covenant scriptures uh, very well, probably had most of it memorized, uh, had studied it under the best of the best, heard it read every week in the synagogue again and again. All this, uh, all this Old Testament scripture that's all about Jesus, it's all pointing forward to the, the coming Messiah. Uh, and, and here's old Paul, he knows all of it better than we know it. And what does he conclude when the Messiah actually arrives? Paul concludes that what we really need to do, this Messiah that all that scripture was pointing to, what we really need to do is take anybody associated with this Jesus and kill him. Or at least lock him up. That's what needs to happen. And you're kind of like, Paul, what? How, come, how come you don't see it? Yeah, it was like, like the veil over Moses' face. He was seeing, but he, he didn't see the glory. Until, until... Jesus stepped into his life. Then all of a sudden, he sees. And actually, if you read, if you read through the book of Acts, it, it's, it's so very dramatic, because almost immediately, Paul is going out and telling everyone from the Old Testament scriptures that, look, Jesus is the Messiah we've been waiting for, the, that the Old Testament talks about. He's telling everybody. What, what happened? Right? He, last chapter, he was trying to kill everyone. Who associated with Jesus, uh, and now he's preaching from the Old Testament, Jesus is Lord. What happened? Yeah, Jesus stepped into his life and removed the veil. Of course, for Paul, it was a very dramatic stepping into his life. He's on that Damascus road, and Jesus appears. Uh, but but it was it just like the scales fell from his eyes in a physical way. He spiritually now he saw because God removed God removed the veil. And what happened in a very dramatic way for Paul is really what happens for, for every believer in Christ, right? Apart from Jesus stepping into your life, uh, you, could, you could look all day. You, you could be an Old Testament scholar. You could be a, a New Testament scholar like Paul, study with the best of the best. But you, if you just look and the veil is still over your eyes, over your heart, you're going to see but miss all the glory. What's, what's our hope? What's our story as, as believers is that Jesus steps in and removes the veil. Uh, can you see how, how God did that in, in your life? Right? I, 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 think about, I think about my own life. Growing up in church and, and being there and in services, Bibles read. Being in Sunday school, hearing all the Bible stories and studying them. Uh, in, in high school, after my, my cousin died, I actually uh, paged through and skimmed through and read he, the entire Bible, I skimmed through it and even read most of it, a good part of the New Testament. And I'm reading and reading and, and totally missed the good news of Jesus as Savior by grace, through faith. Missed it. Yeah, I was seeing, but I wasn't seeing. Right? There's this veil. And then all of a sudden, it was like somebody flipped a switch and it was like, oh, there it is. And this changes everything. Was it, was it because I suddenly became smarter? Uh, was it because I became holier? No, none of that. Jesus stepped in through the power of the Spirit, lifted the veil, and now the glory shines through. Now you see the radiance. All right? the, the, the details in your life might be a little bit different, but, but the, the, the basic structure is the same. 
Right? Jesus steps in, he removes the veil, and, and, and we who were once blind, now we see. And Paul says that's, that's freedom. Mm-hmm. Right? He, he talks about that in verse, uh, verse 17, about, about freedom. Right? Where, there is, where there is the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. Now, not freedom in the modern American sense of freedom, like freedom, you get to do whatever you want, whenever you want to. Uh, that's, if you think about it, of course, another form of slavery, right? It just means you're enslaved to your passions. Uh, he's talking about real freedom. Here especially, the freedom from spiritual blindness, to see uh, what is actually true, to see what is actually glorious and what actually gives life. Right? And where the, uh, the Spirit of God takes the, the work of Jesus and, and lifts the veil and shows it to us, there that freedom floods, floods our lives. The, the glorious work of what God does uh, through his Spirit, through the work of his, his Son. Do you, do you see, the, see the privilege we have in Christ? Uh, we're those who, who see. We don't deserve it. But we actually see the glory better than Moses. It's it's greater glory than what Moses had. And we get to see it. And we get to see it. And more than just see it, it transforms us, which is our last point. Glorification. Here we we get to that last verse, verse 18. Paul concludes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He says, we all, we all see the glory. Right? In, in contrast to Moses, right, he was the only guy who went up on the mountain. Right? He was the only guy who got to see that glimpse uh, of the Lord. The only guy who, who was transformed by it, had that radiant face. It was just him. But now here we are. Here we are with the the arrival of Jesus and the arrival of his spirit. And it's every believer, every one of us, uh, better than Moses. Uh, We all behold uh, the glory of the Lord. We all take in uh, with unveiled face, Paul says, uh, the glory of the Lord. But but maybe that has you wondering, okay, well, I, I don't remember going up on a mountain anytime. I don't... I don't remember any kind of light from heaven or anything like that. Yeah, because what you have in the old is so often in outward physical pictures. Now the fulfillment in the new is much deeper, much more real spiritual realities. So what happened to Moses externally is what God does even more permanently internally. Right? He shows us what he'll say in chapter 4. The glory of God, the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. That is, we, we see Jesus and, and, we, and we see the glory of God. Right? The same glory that transformed Moses' face on the outside, we behold that same glory uh, even more clearly as we see Jesus. But maybe that has you asking another question. I don't remember seeing Jesus. Okay, I get it. Paul was on the road. He, he saw Jesus, but I, I haven't seen Jesus. Well, actually, believer, yes, you have. Uh, he, he shows up to us through the Spirit. The Spirit using, uh, using ordinary means to show, you, uh, to show you Jesus. 
Um, that very well could be what Paul is, is getting at in that last sentence there. Uh, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's a challenging statement, but probably the best way to understand it is really what's taught elsewhere in the New Testament as well, uh, which is uh, that the Lord Jesus comes to us through the ministry of the Spirit. Right? The, 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 the Holy Spirit takes and shows us Jesus and, and shows us uh, through very ordinary means, very or, in very ordinary places, but they're extraordinary because the Spirit is there in the pages of Scripture. The, that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about Old Covenant Scripture, but it's same in the New. Uh, there we see Jesus because the Spirit takes that, takes that Word and shows us the glory of Jesus in the Word, right? Once the veil is removed, unveiled face, we look in the Word, and there's Jesus. We see Jesus. The same Jesus Paul encountered on the road, you see him in the pages of Scripture, and the Spirit makes him alive in your hearts. Uh, we could we could talk about how we how we see Jesus in the sacraments, in the Lord's Supper and baptism. The same Jesus that we get in the Word, uh, we get in, in in the Lord's Supper and baptism. Only now it's not in words; it's in pictures. Uh, same Jesus. The Spirit takes it, makes it alive to our hearts, so we're beholding the glory of the Lord in the face of Christ. We can go on to talk about other things the Spirit uses, prayer, uh, worship, the fellowship of God's people. Uh, but you start to get the idea. The Holy Spirit shows us the glory of Jesus in these, these means that he's appointed, ordinary on the outside, but, but they're extraordinary because they show us uh, the very glory of God in the face of Jesus, and we're transformed by it. We're transformed by it. What does he say? Now we all, right, not just Moses, all of all, every believer, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, right? Beholding the glory of God changes you. Again, think Moses. He beholds the glory of God on the mountain, and it changes him. You see it on the outside. That's an old covenant picture. Same thing. Nothing's changed. We behold the glory of God. Guess what? It's going to change us. Right? If that veil is removed and we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus, it will change us. It does change us. Now, he, he says we are being transformed. It's, it's not a light switch uh, that goes to from, uh, from old sinner to instantly perfected saint. Uh, when we're being transformed, it's over time. Um, but, but we're being changed, as sure as Moses was changed. And we're being changed to look like Jesus. Right? Look, what he, uh, look what he says. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image, into his likeness, Jesus' likeness. Right? We behold his glory, and, and, and we're transformed more and more uh, into, into Christ-likeness. It's, it's hard to even imagine, um, but, but that's what God is doing. Maybe you could begin to, begin to wrap your mind a little bit around it by, by doing this, by, by thinking, first of all, about yourself. So you picture yourself, uh, but picture like the perfect version of you. So, so all, the, all the good stuff, right, the... Uh, the, the beauty, the, the kindness, the, the gifts, 
Uh, so the, the real you, but all the junk is gone. Like gone, gone. The perfect version of you. Right? It's, it's you, but with Christ-like love. It's you, but with Christ-like joy. It's you, but with Christ-like peace. And Christ-like patience. And Christ-like self-control. Starting to get the idea? Is it starting to sound attractive? Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what God is doing. That's what he's already started, and he promises he will finish the work he started. Because we behold the glory of the Lord, and just like Moses couldn't help but be changed by it, so we slowly are being, are being transformed, and he promises he will, he will finish the job uh, on, that, on that final day. The glory of what God is doing. So to put it all together now, the glorious privileges, the glorious greatness of the new covenant. Now we could, we could come up with a list. We could come up with a list of, of five good things to do this week. And it wouldn't be bad. We probably could come up with a really good list. Read your Bible so many minutes a day, pray for so long, come to church next week. All those are good. We could come up with a great list. Um, but what if we approached it from a different angle? Uh, what if, well, go back to the story of the guy in the ocean line. Uh, we could come up with a great list for him. Five steps to get ready for dinner. Uh, five steps to find the right seat in the dining room. That's good. But really, all you have to do is convince that guy of the glory of his privilege of the glory of what his ticket already includes. And he's going to figure out how to get dressed. He's going to figure out how to get ready. He's going to figure out how to get to the dining room. He's motivated. And what he doesn't know, he's going to figure it out. He's going to ask somebody. Right? You just convince him of his privilege. What if, what if the same thing is, is operating in the Christian life? Right? The more we take in what Paul is giving us here, the glory of the privilege that we have in Christ, and we see that, we take it in, we, we, we bathe in it, and we drink in it, and we meditate on it. And then the to-do list, well, well we're going to figure out how to get to the dining room. Because uh, now, we're, now we're motivated more and more. And what a, what a feast it is. Right? The glory of God transformed into Christ-likeness. What a, what a feast. Uh, so, uh, believer, be encouraged of the privilege you already have in the Lord Jesus. And then... Enjoy the feast. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you for, for your great mercies. Lord, how you've shed your kindness and your glory upon those who are undeserving and, but brought us into such riches. And we thank you and pray that we would, we would but have the privilege of seeing it more clearly. Uh, Lord, and, and delighting in it more, even, even today, uh, even through your word here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.